What tea do you have? I saw you drinking something. I have peach and ginger. Oh. Yep. It's a pretty good bet that if you see me with a cup of tea, it's either English breakfast or peach and ginger. Yes, I'm enjoying it very, very much. I discovered something magical, and it's the Bigelow green tea with mango. Oh, that's lovely. And it smells like it smells like mango and it tastes mango-y and it's beautiful in every single possible way and I love it and I never want to not drink this ever again. That's amazing. Love fruit. Yeah, I do too. It doesn't have the same like comfort as English breakfast, but it's very tasty. Mm -hmm. I tell myself I actually have to broaden my horizons. I can't just drink English breakfast tea all the time. Literally, I drink more tea than I drink water, which is probably not good for my body if we're very honest. So I'm trying to branch away from that one all the time. Well, I think you can absolutely continue to only drink that tea if it is what pleases you because come on, like it's good tea. So I would totally just go with the flow on it. So we are doing a special bonus episode We're in the throes of recording season two at the moment, but this is going to come out in between season one and two. So it's not the Iliad. It's also not Egypt, which is what season two is on. But it's really super cool. And Lexi, I'm going to let you introduce it because you discovered it. You love it more than anyone I have ever met. So I think you should tell us what it is and why it's amazing. Okay, so I was on the hype train when this game came out in, I want to say either early August or September, I don't remember. But anyway, it's called Stray Gods, and it is a role-playing musical video game based on Greek mythology. And that sounds fabulous to anyone who loves musical theater and just like who loves good music but also I love it because it's billed as a game for the casual gamer so if you are not fantastic with a bunch of quick time events and other stressful video game situations there's literally none of that because all you're doing is controlling dialogue and then the only sort of quick time-esque things are when the characters break into song you get to choose one of three different paths it's a trait system so at the beginning of the game you're singing the first song and there's a pause in it and then it says choose your trait so you can take the green path which is the charming path where your grace will do all nice charming empathetic options and so everyone will sort of like her and it opens up that way and so your lyrics will always be different depending on what you're doing and so it makes the game have like an infinite amount of variations and so everyone will have a unique playthrough no one will be hearing the same songs i love it the red path is the aggressive path where your grace is more like kick ass and so the songs she's likely to sing are not the calm strummy beautiful sympathetic ones you'll get in someone's face you'll argue with them and the dialogue options kind of follow and then there's the blue path which is the clever path which is the witty sort of sassy kind of manipulative if i'm honest Yeah, but it can present a sassy too, like a sassy path without being straight up kick-ass. It's an interesting thing. At one point, you can add on a secondary trait, so you will be able to do two of them. But it's interesting having seen now what dialogue you're locked out of, depending on what trait you choose before you can add in a second one. It's kind of a brilliant thing. And I do like how Austin Wintory, who was the main composer and lyricist, he's been posting a lot of behind-the-scenes content on his YouTube channel for anyone interested And he kind of went through and talked about sort of the choices and the choices he made creatively in crafting the paths and the reasons for why. And it's really brilliant. It's really cool. And he even talked about how like he picked out certain musical instruments that you'll hear depending on the color path that you chose. If you choose the blue clever path, you'll hear a lot more clarinet because he's like clarinet is keyed into clever. If you choose the red path for aggressive you'll hear a lot more bass because there's a shit ton of bass in there and then the green one i forgot maybe it was a synth or something i forgot but even choosing specific instrument to key you into your choices and that level of depth is astonishing he wrote so much music also like fun fact if you are a eurovision fan montaigne who represented australia in 2021 she co-wrote 
some of the songs. So he collaborated with Montaigne on this, which I thought was amazing. And she actually helped co-write some of my favorite songs on the track. Yeah. So lots of fun facts. I know I've, I've dug way too much into this game. It's a little embarrassing how much I know. That's why we do a podcast so we can do that level of embarrassingly deep research and then say, well, there was a reason I did that. It's so I can tell everyone else. And also, to be quite honest, for any other video game fans out there, the entire voice cast is made up of all A-list voice actors, but also the biggest draw for me was that it basically the entire voice cast or the major voice cast of The Last of Us games. So if you are a big fan of The Last of Us, you'll recognize Ashley Johnson, love her, Troy Baker, love him. It's Laura Bailey in the lead role this time. And you're like, oh my God, I know that name. Yes. And it's got like Meryl Dandridge and Mary Elizabeth McGlynn and all these big names. And there's some nuggets for like Assassin's Creed fans for those who love history games. There's a character who's voiced by Abu Salim, who was the voice of Bayek. It's insane how many people are in here. So anyway, yes, it's all based on a modern iteration of Greek mythology. And it's set in Australia, which is hilarious because it was also developed by an Australian studio. And I learned a fun fact that this game was completely crowdfunded because people wanted to make it so bad. And I'm a fan. Anyway, Megan, I want to jump right in and I really need to get your thoughts on your playthrough because I have at this point, let me register on the record, I have played it about three or four different times. And so I've seen many, many iterations. So this is this is Megan's first time through. So what happened, Megan? I really enjoyed it and I want to say it's a great game for a casual gamer or for a more serious gamer who just doesn't have time to game much anymore because maybe like me you have too many children to actually sit down and spend three hours gaming but it's maybe four hours tops and it felt playing through it it felt a lot more like a kind of choose your own adventure graphic novel there's not a massive amount of animation it's more it switches from one still to another but the way they do it is very clever and very effective and i really enjoyed kind of the visual style of the game very very much and if you've never played a computer game before in your life this is absolutely the game for you it's really easy going it's super easy and it's just a really fun story with so many little twists and turns and like Lexi said different directions you can take it so i've i've just played it the once i got the ending i got and I'm really interested to go back and play it again because you're given dialogue choices and some of the choices I made did not lead to the outcome I was expecting. And I want to try again and get the outcome I wanted. <laughs> so you play as Grace, who is a, a mortal singer. And very early on in the game, she kind of inherits the role of the last muse from Calliope. All of the Greek gods in the story have these things called eidolons, which are like part of your soul that you can pass on to someone else when you die. So Calliope dies and passes on her eidolon to Grace. And we learn later in the game that a year, maybe two years after this happens, Grace will inherit Calliope's memories and the memories of all the people who were Calliope before her, which is both terrifying and fantastic. So you get this thing where the gods kind of change bodies and they have different facets to their personality that each new person kind of adds in, but they're still, they still view themselves as, as one, one being, one person. So that was really, really interesting. But you play as Grace and she's accused of murdering Calliope, essentially, and the game is her quest to clear her name and find out who actually did murder Calliope and what the hell's going on. And while you're playing through it, you have how many romance options? You've got Freddy, Pan, Sad Boy, Apollo, and Persephone. So you've got four possible romance options. I did choose to romance everyone to begin with because I really enjoyed all of the characters. But obviously at some point you have to like choose one. And I ended up going for Persephone because her character design is spectacular. And I just really enjoyed her as a character. She's someone that I appreciate a lot in Greek mythology and the game's take on her was really, it was really cool. She's like a gangster. It's awesome. And you find out that she killed Hades and overthrew him and, and took his throne in the underworld. It was then taken away from her because apparently you're not allowed to just go around killing gods. But I really liked that that was kind of her origin story. So I went for her and then ended up breaking up with her because she lied to me. And I suspect as I play through and choose different romance options, everyone will lie to me because I, I feel that's just the kind of, of story we're working with. So I ended the game completely single, which was not where I was planning on going, but 
I wasn't mad about it. I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And there are all these little side questy bits and different characters and you get to go and talk to Medusa, who is really terrifying and eats people apparently. And there's a moment where you have to go to Hecate and Asterion. Asterion is the Minotaur. And they work together in the reliquary, which is this ancient library with magical artifacts that are being kept in storage. And you get sent there by Pan, who says Asterion needs help with his love life. And you're like, okay cool. You turn up and he's in love with Hecate, who's this super powerful, really, I don't want to say robotic, but very logical character who like has this role in life. And she does that all the time and doesn't really have a lot of interpersonal relationships. And she's completely flawed that Asterion loves her. And actually, that's one of the things I want to replay because I wanted them to end up together. But apparently, I'm also too much of a fan of free will and letting characters kind of decide their own paths because I gave Hecate the option and essentially said, it's up to you. I mean, I'm not going to make you fall in love with someone. And she essentially said, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're a great guy. You're a really good friend, but I can't see this ending well. And I don't want to hurt you, which was a decision I respected, but it ends with her saying, look, I'll conjure up a glamour so that you can look human and go out into the world and, and seek the love that you desire. And she also makes him fall out of love with her, which I thought was, was kind. But yeah, I want them to end up together. I was not happy that I chose the wrong options. Lexi's like, Megan, what the fuck did you do with your game? You ruined the whole thing. You didn't end up with anyone romantically. You broke up Hecate and Asterion. Like, what did you get right in your playthrough, really? No, I'm just, it's very funny because your first playthrough is so different than mine. Okay, just to rewind, when I first started playing my first playthrough, I automatically knew, I was like, oh my God, I have to romance Freddie. I love Persephone and she's bae, but I knew she would be my second playthrough. I fucking love Freddie because she's, because Freddie's your best friend. I understand like a lot of people, when I talked to some other friends who played this, they were kind of like, you know, I'm a bit uncomfortable because it's using that whole, your best friend is secretly in love with you and she didn't say anything. And then it's kind of implied that like Grace also had a thing for her, but also didn't say anything. So it's like this whole weird secret unrequited love thing where they talk about how much they love each other, but they're like best friends. And so I had a, a couple of people be like, I don't want to push that because like, that's it, weird. Maybe it's tied to the fact that I don't think that's the weirdest thing in life. If you're secretly in love with a friend and they are also, you should just tell each other, get that over with. Maybe it goes great. Maybe it doesn't. So I don't feel icky about that. So I was like, yep, we're romance and Freddie because fuck, she's our best friend. Who's also not only just super handy to having a crisis because she comes with you to a lot of cool places. Freddie is a nerd about Greek mythology and all mythology. So I was like, oh, she's like me. So yeah, I love her. We're romancing her. So I went for Freddie and then another pivotal decision where you basically can save or not someone is Aphrodite because she is the victim. So all the remaining idols who are in the world, there's not many of them. There's only a few major ones and then you have a bunch of minor ones that are not mentioned, but it's because they were lost to the Great War is that code for World War One? What is this? Or just a great war? A little confusing. They talked about jackbooted people, so I assumed World War Two. And Eros says that Ares was pissed he missed out on the first big war. So I'm assuming World War Two. That's kind of what I also took, but we don't call World War Two the Great War ever. World War One is the Great War. So okay. A little mixing of the timelines, fine. Or it could be a great war between the gods and just mortals that was not historical. Either way. So they had this great war and essentially a lot of people either died or poofed away or whatever. So Aphrodite, we learn, was captured and imprisoned. And so she has it worse, basically, because all the gods are tortured by haunted memories. But like Aphrodite's was the worst because of her capture. And then we learn that her husband, Hephaestus, who she, true to Greek mythology, was not in love with, didn't like at all, who she always complained about, he made a deal with the mortals to make them a weapon. And then he went away forever, thus saving her. And then so she sings this really gorgeous song at her farewell party. I love that song so much. But yeah, so she sings this gorgeous song about how, okay, well, after he did that and saved me, now I can spend my time doing nothing but thinking of my poor husband and how I'll never see him again. But maybe one day we'll be reunited, which is super cute. But also I'm like, it took him literally sacrificing himself. And she even sings that she abhorred him. And so it's a pivotal decision. So you can essentially let her pass on her eidolon to escape the bad memories 
because every memories come back she like switches bodies and gets that memory wipe thing interesting that's another bit i fucked up ah uh, i wanted her to stick around and deal with her problems like a grown-up and again it's the will thing i'm like i'm not gonna try and convince you to do something you truly like i i should not i should just say no i know best i am in this in this game the person playing it i know best you're you are not allowed to essentially commit suicide and I, I, I screwed up a lot of this i have to go back and repair it Wait, so what version of the song did you get? Did you go all green path and do the, like, I'm so sorry, I'll let you go? So did you get, what is it called, Lost in a Song, where it gets all weepy and they sing about how she's lost in a moment, lost in a song? Or did you go down sort of the blue path, which is the, I don't, I can't tell you what to do? I did a mix of blue and green. Okay. I think I ended with, I, I can't tell you, I can't make this decision for you. Which, at least, if this was a real situation, that's not a decision I can make for, for someone, but also... This is a video game and I should just go ahead and make the damn decision. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's funny because after I played it the first time, I watched a lot of my favorite YouTubers do their playthroughs. And so I, I started learning the patterns and the stuff. And it's really interesting because if you do green and blue, I learned if you let her make the choice, she will always choose to die because that's what she wants. And so if you're going to let her, essentially, she'll be like, yeah, okay, following the plan. So it's actually really cool because I've heard the variations of the songs if you don't do that. My favorite path, I would say, is red and blue. So if you go straight red path, the no, 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 the song changes, ends up being this really sort of rock and roll type of heart pounding thing. But my favorite is if you choose blue 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 until the last one you choose the red one it's like a red subset grace fucking wraps the shit out of it and it's this like really patterned sing-songy portion and then i looked at the behind the scenes apparently laura bailey that was the biggest trouble spot of the entire recording process and then she fucking nailed that entire rap bit in one go one take one breath and when you listen to it you're like holy crap i could not get that in one go that's insane so that's kind of a fun little tidbit so anyway there was the big aphrodite choice and then yes you have the big choice well and then another big choice is so spoiler alert not so spoiler alert but at one point freddie will get stabbed just putting that out there freddie will get stabbed and then you have to go when when you go to the underworld there is a chance to see her again and calliope and then you get a choice to save freddie or not and the dialogue is misleading because I've seen a lot of playthroughs now and heard from a lot of people who wanted to save her but couldn't, didn't have the choice. And so I've learned that there's a really specific way that you have to save her. And there is one dialogue option that will completely lock you out. And, and too many people have stumbled upon that. So, yeah, I was able to save Freddy and have my Freddy romance. I was not. <laughs> I chose the wrong option. I'm sorry, Megan. I'm so sorry. But you know what? It's fine because it allowed you to end up with Persephone who they don't make it easy to do the romance with her though because she's so kind of confrontational and manipulative and says a lot of things. So you really have to like stick with it to end up with her. I think it's worth it, but I've seen a lot of people just be like, no, I want to give up on this because she's so kind of hot and cold. It's much easier to romance like Apollo because he'll just be like, oh yes, Grace, I'm so into you. If you live past the trial, I will be with you. And you're like, oh, God. Okay, sad boy. Which, by the way, his character model hilarious because he's just this very buff dude with a bunch of abs. He's a beach surfer dude with a permanently unbuttoned shirt. So I've stopped calling him Apollo. I call him Mr. Abs. It's a good name. I like it. It's very distracting. When I was going for the Freddy romance, I remember I would get so angry, so annoyed when I would see him. And I'd be like, put those away, sir. I don't want to see them. They're very distracting and they're doing nothing for me because I am playing my grace as at least by, if not pan, if not just straight up lesbian characters. Look, man, that does nothing for me. She's going for Freddy and your abs will not distract me from my goal. Then eventually I looped back and did the Apollo romance and it was like, fine, fine, fine. But honestly, I think the only romanceable character I don't like is Pan. I really enjoyed Pan and on my second playthrough, I will definitely work harder and stick with his romance line. I feel like he's the only one, despite the fact that he lies constantly, he's the only one who was remotely truthful to you because he tells you that he's going to lie to you. You know you can't trust him. The other two, they're like, oh, I'm going to help you. And it's like, you are, but also you are lying to me about some very key things here. The way that they directed his voice actor, his voice is the smarmiest like, hello, Grace, I am here. 
to offer you assistance. And you're like, oh my God, there's something about this smarmy ass voice that I don't, it makes me not trust him. You just don't like him because Freddie doesn't like him. Freddie hates him on sight. I will own that because you know what? I am a Freddie stan and I believe, even though Austin Wintry came out and literally said there is no game, I still believe that Freddie is canon. So for me, I'm like, uh-uh, I'm sticking with my girl, Freddie. Also, I just love Freddie. It's very funny because her name is actually Farishta. It's a beautiful Indian name, but like ever, she's just Freddie. So um, I maybe I hate him, but I also just don't like him. Like in general, I just don't like, like I want to get the trophy to every romanceable character, but I'm also like, should I not? Should I just abandon that trophy? Because I don't want to romance him. Just on principle, say that is the one trophy I am not going to get. I could if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I love platinum in games like this, but I don't want to romance Pan because then I have to sit through like four hours of flirting with Pan. And I'm like, ugh, no. Anyway, I brought Freddy back. That's a main choice you can make. And then depending on what you choose, it helps you at the end at your trial basically to save your life and see you know can you unravel the mystery but actually one thing i really wanted to ask you about megan was what did you think of the characterization of athena because this was the first game ever that i was like i fucking hate athena yeah i did not like and i didn't like her from the first time she was introduced and I didn't get very far before I was like, yeah, you're, you're involved in this somehow. I think you probably are the culprit. So I wasn't surprised at all by the ending, but I did not like her. And you're not supposed to like Athena. She is just generally unlikable and arrogant and she's working to do the right thing, but also is so caught up in, I'm the only one who can save everything that I have to do it by myself. And you're like, for the love of God, just stop. Talk to someone else and ask their advice and maybe, you know, work as a group the way you're supposed to be working instead of just being all high and mighty and conceited and arrogant. And she keeps offering you fucking cookies. And I'm like, I don't want one of your cookies. Stop. You're not someone's mom. She's portrayed as this older woman and she feels like the mum of a friend that you went to high school with or something. It's that kind of the way she interacts with you. She's like, oh, my dear child. Oh, fuck you. Smarmy. Didn't like her in the slightest. But I also felt like she was a decent characterization of Athena as far as historicity goes. Yes, absolutely. I was really shocked because I like started playing the game and then I heard her voice and I was like, is that Felicia Day? I was like, that's Felicia Day. Holy shit. No, I don't want to associate her with this version of terrible Athena. I actually hadn't called that that, that was Felicia Day. Her voice sounded really familiar, but I didn't I didn't put it together. Oh, yep, it's Felicia Day. I swear that this game is insane with how many famous people are in it. But her cookies, it was so funny. Every time she'd be like, take a cookie. And then they gave her this like smile that you were like, I want to punch that smile off. You were like, oh, the smile. Every time she was like, and take a cookie. I was like, no, I don't want your fucking cookies. They've been here for like 2000 years. They're probably the stalest, most disgusting. And for the goddess of wisdom, she was surprisingly dumb. I mean, there's this one scene where you go and talk to her and then suddenly her entire rationale is, oh, the idols are dying. So we need to kill you. No, why are you being so fucking dumb? Whose idea was it? Oh God, oh God. I fucking hated Athena and she's usually my favorite goddess and she's wisdom and smart and she wasn't. And I was like, this is making me so angry, but it's a cool take on Greek mythology, which I liked because it is different, but I still was pissed. What did you think of, of Apollo in terms of the characterization and, and what we see in Greek myth and literature. It's funny because I go between him and Persephone being the most opposite of their counterparts from Greek mythology that we are familiar with. Apollo, I don't know, they just, they turn him into such a caricature of a sad boy where he's just, everything sucks. I'm so sad. Every time I try and help, I make it worse. You don't want my help, Grace. And then the whole prophecies are bad. I don't want them. I'm like, no, the real Apollo. Well, not real, but Apollo, he does like to use his power of prophecy. And so turning him into someone who's like, no, I don't want it. 
was quite interesting. He was just, he's very different from what we're used to. It worked for the game's purposes, but I would say I don't see another Apollo quite like this. And then Persephone. Like, I like what they did to change her because they gave her way more agency. She had the power to fight back. She killed Hades. That didn't happen. But you know what? In this game, it did. And you know what? Great. But then she was stripped of her power. So I don't love that subliminal message that, like, she fought back against her abductor, killed him, and then was punished. But again, it makes for a compelling storyline for what their aim is to do with her because they try to give her this redemption arc because depending on what happens with the throne in the underworld you can give it to her or offer it to her and it's orpheus it is orpheus who's like a weird rocker dude who's taking care of the underworld i really enjoyed orpheus i thought he was cool he's so funny you can have him keep it or you can just destroy the throne yourself or claim it for yourself depending on what trait path you took what sets her up for sort of a redemption arc but then you're like oh this was kind of the same thing happened. it's weird anyway i appreciated how different she was i like the gangster bit i wish we could hear more about their histories in general my only complaint is depending on what character you choose to romance or get close to you will learn a lot more about their circumstances who they were but it locks you out of learning the same value of information for the others which i don't love because i i wish that you could just learn about that i do understand that as a creative choice because it then will influence you to romance different people so you learn more so i do like how that influences the replayability because like i learned so much about persephone on my first playthrough it was just great and then by the time i went back and did the apollo romance i was like whoa i didn't have the option to learn more about persephone but i learned a shit ton about apollo and this backstory is wild it's, it's really interesting i enjoyed the underworld section i liked what they did with Caron, who is just always asking everyone to play cards with him or something because he's bored. Absolutely understand. He was kind of sweet. I liked him. He, I mean, he's this giant hood with glowing, what, green eyes and really bony hands. So he's not visually very personable. He's kind of endearing as a faceless character. But I liked that the, the shades in the underworld all, ha all have Greek theatre masks on. That was really cool. I thought that was a nice use of, of archaeological imagery. There were a lot of lovely little nuggets for people who are fans of Greek mythology that I really appreciated. What did you think of the Furies? Well, it's funny because I feel like my reaction was so tied to because the, the game that I platinumed and really had played through to the, and like fallen in love with to this amount before I played this game was The Devil in Me, which is one of the dark pictures horror games by the same people who did Until Dawn. And Devil and Me is the one where you're basically trapped in the murder castle and it's influenced by H.H. H. Holmes. And so the thing going through my mind most was the fact that in Devil and Me, there are a ton of automatons, right? Like there's a lot of automatic, scary things, but also that game was chock full of creepy mannequins. And so the first thing I thought when the Furies appeared, and now I'm confronted by creepy mannequins. Oh my God, this is like a flashback to the other game. What's happening? So they really were like creepy mannequins, but like with a lot of style. And I was like, good on you for having style. But also they're really creepy. They're really silent. I, I personally tend to find villains or scary things scarier when they don't explicitly say who they are or what they're for. I do like it when my villains like announce themselves and they're like, I am seeking revenge because of this. And I know that would make it easier, right? If any enemy who you ever encountered would tell you exactly why they don't like you, then you go, oh, okay, it's easier to rationalize or figure out what I should be feeling. But when they come and don't say anything and just do an action like stabbing freddy and then they leave and you get nothing that is kind of in the realm of things that terrify me most so i, I basically was on the verge of tears freddy just got killed by creepy mannequins and i'm not okay i thought they were really really well done they gave me definitely mannequin vibes but also weeping angels from doctor who you can't reason with them there's no talking to them you can't outrun them you can try, but you're not going to get very far. And I really liked that they seemed to be very, very much linked to the Furies that you see in Greek myth. You can't bribe them. You can't talk your way out of it. You just have to deal with the fate that you're given because you've done something wrong. And that's just what you have to deal with. I do wish that there had been more exposition on why Athena gets to control them. 
because when they first show up, all the idols, all of the gods that you are friendly with, they're like, the Furies shouldn't be here. You didn't break any of the rules, at least none of the rules that the Furies care about. No one has power over them. No one can control them. But then in the final chapter of the story, Athena can control them, and that's never explained. There's a throwaway comment someone makes that maybe the leader of the gods is able to have that power, but if they do, no one else knows about it. So I assume that's what's going on, but it wasn't explained and it was just a little bit of a plot hole that frustrated me. I would have liked for there to either be confirmation that yes, it's because she's leader of the gods or there's some other reason, but I would have liked a reason. Yeah, I mean, and there was an attempt, right? Because I think at some point either Grace or someone kind of casually was like, Oh, I don't really understand that. I mean, maybe it's just like a being a leader, the idols thing that you get this power. And that was it. So yeah, I would have definitely appreciated more than that. And it's interesting because the more I think about it as well, I went back and it made me actually think back to like ever since, I don't know, I want to say as like for 10 years, right? I have had like on my phone a list of names that like I would I would name like a cat if I ever adopted one. And one of them is actually Electo, which is the name of one of the Furies for those who know Greek mythology. And I thought it would be funny because cats, when they want anything, they meow and they annoy you. And you're like, oh, my God, will this ever will this harassment stop? And Electo, for those of you who know Greek, it in Greek, it means unceasing which I thought would be a hilarious joke for a cat. So I will name my cat Unceasing. And also a two-year-old. Yes, that too. So name them Electo. But also, like, this game added a new dimension to my understanding because these mannequins are fucking unceasing in their pursuit of blood and you. And I contextualized that and I was like, oh, no wonder she's called Unceasing because she, like, comes for you. She doesn't, like, do anything until she gets retribution and, like, leaves. And then I was not so into the idea of naming my cat electo because i was like oh no but also this is a very specific creepy mannequin situation i still think it's a great pun for a cat so i'll probably still end up doing that at some point what did you think of this version of calliope i liked her i don't know a lot about the muses historically or mythologically i obviously know they exist i know calliope is credited with well, the odyssey for someone who dies right, right at the beginning of the story she's really well characterized <laughs> she's really well rounded as a character and you get these little glimpses of someone who's trying really hard like athena is right Athena's trying her best to save the idols and, and keep their society going and calliope is working towards the same end from a different direction she's working to try and persuade people that they need to change what they're doing in order to thrive in the new world and that actually keeping on as they are isn't really tenable and that Aphrodite's habitual suicide or pseudo-suicide I guess is a sign of this holding pattern that they're in and actually for any of them to move on and they're all pretty miserable as you talk to them you, you realize very quickly everyone is miserable and it's because, or it seems to be because they're in this weird holding pattern. They're not actually living. They're just existing and trying to stay out of sight and out of mind of the mortals in Calliope. It's not made super explicit, but she seems to have been advocating for actually living a life and not just like hiding away. I, I liked her. I wanted to ask you, sorry, you need to tell me your thoughts on Calliope, but then I want to ask about Athena's relationship with Medusa. Okay, Calliope. I don't know a ton about the muses either, but I do know that Calliope was the muse of epic poetry, which is why we attribute a lot of Homer and other epic poems to her. She's voiced by Ashley Johnson, and Ashley can do no wrong, and also her voice is one of the most soothing, pleasing voices on the ear ever. And I think I had the reaction of a lot of other gamers and fans, also who know her voice work from The Last of Us. I had a completely inappropriate but also appropriate reaction because like as soon as she came in the room and she started talking, I think I just paused the game to squeal for like five solid minutes and go, Ashley Johnson! Oh my gosh, I love you! I love the way she played because she doesn't get a lot of airtime and she was able to play it with such fragility and in a way where you really got a sense of this deep sadness coming from her that her efforts are not working. It really hinted at the past this character has had. The only thing that I really didn't understand was that this is the muse of epic poetry. And instead of having her be a poetess who can just sing really well, when you learn about her backstory, she was like 
this opera singer who was supposed to be legendary and i was like well that's a weird flex epic poetry opera singer i mean not impossible but also like okay i don't know they made calliope and the other muses who are not present i should add but when they talk about the muses they made them as a catch-all for just all arts i guess but then they did the thing where they were like there weren't nine muses there were three three people can cover all the arts interesting interesting she's dead but she manages to feel very present throughout the whole game because of how many how much people talk about her and how much you learn about her and then when you do get to sort of see her spirit that was awesome and she comes in with some truth bombs i don't know i wish she was in there more but i understand like it works and so whatever we get of her in there is fine but i i've learned just from trolling the internet that she ended up being one of people's favorite characters people really love her everyone's like i love calliope uh, and, and and everyone is complaining about how you can't romance her because she dies actually though if i could romance anyone in this game it would be her. I'm sorry. I would even go for her over Freddie. But she dies. And I've seen so many reacts at this point to people being like, no, when she dies. I wanted to just love you. So it's really hilarious. That was sad. But yes, Athena and Medusa, they turned Athena into a puppet master where she controls the monstrous Medusa. So you're sad because she's a slave. Now she also wants to eat people, which is kind of her own thing separate of Athena. But again, she controls her when she should be helping her, but she she uses her as a stooge. And she says, Athena says that when you question her about it, she says, well, I elected to bring Medusa with me from the old world because she is, after all, my responsibility. And she clearly doesn't like her. She clearly finds her presence and existence in their lives to be unpleasant. No one likes her. Everyone is terrified of her because she keeps eating people. She eats Hecate's cat right at the very end and then is taken away by the human government to do God knows what, I assume, eat people. But Athena's like, she's my responsibility, so I brought her with me. Yeah, but you didn't do this out of the goodness of your heart. You did it maybe out of guilt, but more likely because she's a useful entity to have around to scare people and do your dirty work. And that was very interesting because it played really nicely, I think, into Medusa's overall story of Athena changing her out of sheer vindictiveness, really, and then keeping her around and using her because she can and because she's useful. Yes, she's a terrifying monster who eats people, but she hates that she's a terrifying monster. She hates that she eats people. She says several times, I can't control these urges. I'm really sorry that I am this way. Athena can't or won't change her back. And Medusa's just like scared and sad all the time. That's not nice. It's interesting because also by the time you get to the end, so one of the big last songs is at the trial. And depending on how you've played the game and who you've gotten close to or who you've done stuff with, you get to choose to have people sort of step up to the plate and, and defend you from death. And I'm really curious because I've been trying to find all the different variations online or, or just through talking with people. Who did you choose to stand beside you in the trial? I chose Pan because as previously discussed, I have a soft spot for him. I chose Pan and I chose Persephone. So if you choose Medusa, it's really cute because the part of the song, she'll basically say, I was a monster, but now I am no longer a monster. It's this really sort of reflective, yes, I was seen as this, but then you didn't see me as that. And, and she does it in two lines of song and you're like, oh my God, wait, this is so cute. I have to replay this game so many times, but I have to see that. Because I liked her. She was a good character. There's so many good different variations. And I've actually done a pretty good job of listening to a lot of the variations of that last song. And and it's interesting because a lot of people pick either depending on the by character, because they want to hear the, the lyrics for what changes when, when you pick the character. But then it's also really interesting because other people pick based on just the song they want to hear. And so I've tried that a couple of times. You'll have to go back and play and, and see if you agree with me. But I think my favorite combination that makes the prettiest song is if you choose Aphrodite and then Persephone. I love that combination. Both are fantastic. But all the combinations are really cool. There's a version where you can get Hecate to defend you. Her song lyrics are the same as her personality because she essentially sings that she does not want to be a murder accessory. That's her analytical to the end. Yep, that, that tracks. Right? I will say, if you save Freddy, Freddy will stand beside you at the trial. And it's so sweet because it is a total misdirect because you think 
you're actually gonna die because she sings this weepy i'm okay dying again if it's with you and you're like oh my god she's gonna die again no fuck this what stop and then she doesn't and then you're like oh okay it's fine it's so emotional it got me damn near crying so many times this game just hits you right in the and then there's a great not vital but a great sort of choice at the end when you're dealing with athena did you choose to punch her or no i did not but i would like to play through again and see how that plays out because i think it would be quite cathartic i know i do too i haven't actually punched her that's too mean i know she did everything but i don't want to punch her but you know what on this playthrough that i'm currently playing through i think i'm gonna punch her and tell you what happens i'm gonna go for it so we're, we're nearly at the hour but before we stop we should talk about the last two kind of main deities we've got hermes and eros you can't romance either of them and they're kind of secondary characters but they're really nicely characterized i i liked them what what were your thoughts on on how they were done okay this they were taking their shot and i love it they managed to make the gayest game ever the most lgbtq friendly game and i so appreciate it hermes was played by erica ishii and so the character is non-binary i can't say if i've seen such an openly well done non-binary character in a game it was awesome they say during one of their their chats with grace that the old hermes said that their non-binaryness made them an even better Hermes because they straddle those two worlds. It was super cool. I really loved Hermes' portrayal. Erika Ishii is fantastic. Smaller role, but still fantastic. Sarcastic, the type of Hermes that I like. Super lovable, though. Right, like, this is the Hermes I like to see because this is a Hermes who's just like, look, man, I just do my job. I don't think about it too much. And you're like, you know what? That's a good trait to have if you're Hermes and you have to fairy shit around and be there when idols die. And I was like, I, I appreciate this. I will say, Eros, the god of, as he puts it, god of sex. I loved him. He's this big bear leather daddy. It's amazing. Yeah. With blonde hair. Like a weird blonde, what is it? What, what? Like frosted tips, essentially. Yes. I love him so much. Also, he is voiced by Abu Salim. So every time I heard him speak, I was like, you're Bayek, but with a British accent now. And he did such a great voicing job. I loved him so much. He's so lovable. And he's all like, well, I prefer Eros. Of course, Cupid went and ruined my reputation. And I'm like, oh, honey, sweetheart. And, you know, I love how they made him a mama's boy because you're not used to that. And he's just a sensitive boy. He's like, mother. And you can tell he's about to cry. He was a delight and I felt like he's probably the only character, he and Hermes, I think are the only characters who are not out to get something from you. Eros wants you to save his mother, but he's very upfront about that. He's just a big sweetheart and Hermes is like, just gonna go do my door thing. Uh, yeah, it's been real. Because he doesn't strike you as your normal god of sex. I mean, he's literally like, I'm the god of sex and desire and sensuality. But I haven't had any in, in, in a long time because I'm too busy caring for my mother. You're like, oh, oh, you're a delight. Right? Why is he the only British character? Like, I'm just very confused by this. The, uh, yeah, accent choice was interesting. I, it works for him, but given they all came from the mm -hmm. same place. Well, mm, I was going to say, given they all came from the same place, you'd expect the same accents. But maybe this iteration of Eros was originally British. Maybe the iteration before was American, and then he passed it on to a British dude, and he kept his accent because you still stay you in a way. But then again, I was like, well, Asterian has a very noticeable Australian accent. Mm, no, he's British. What? He's not the upper class Queen's English that you expect if you're not a British national. But no, I grew up with people who sound like him. My, my brother actually sounds very similar to Asterion. I was going to say, I mean, I know that there's the regional sort of Cockney and then there's the regional other, I want to say less posh. Let's let's be nice, less posh. But no, I because I, I thought that his voice actor is Australian. I'm going to play it again and make sure I'm right. But he was definitely being played as British. Oh, oh, that's weird. OK, because I definitely only heard Aussie coming out of him. And for whatever reason, my brain went, that makes sense because it's made by an Australian developer. So of course they'll have an Aussie character, but oh my God, wait, if he's British, wait, I need to listen to him again. Cause that's, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's life-changing. What am I doing? I should, I used to pride myself on being a really great perceptor accents, but now I'm questioning everything. To be fair, there are a lot of 
regional variations in the UK that I don't think a lot of people would recognize as being British accents. Well, if it is British, I'm not going to challenge a Brit at recognizing accents. I, lo I love Dasterian because he just, he plays awkward, bumbly dude really well. He's, he's definitely not the man-eating minotaur that you get from myth. He's... He's a sweetie. He's another sweetie, like he and Eros and Hermes. Absolute sweethearts, all of them. He's one of my faves. And he calls Hecate Kate, Katie. He's like, Katie. And you're like, oh, I love you. I love all the side characters. Honestly, they do a really good job of making you not dislike anyone other than like Athena. Everyone has some redeeming quality. Even Athena has redeeming qualities. They're just not strong enough for me to overcome mm -hmm. the dislike I have of her. Okay, two last things. What was your favorite song in the whole game? I enjoyed the Underworld's duets or trio, I guess, with Grace, Orpheus, and Persephone. I liked that. That was fun. And I just really liked Orpheus. I thought he was cool. How about you? It's so hard because I have like three, but I would say I really love Adrift, which is Grace's sort of main song that she sings at the beginning. And just because also like the fact that Laura Bailey and Ashley Johnson duet and they both have like these beautiful angelic voices. I'm like dying. And then actually on the studio album, they don't end it as abruptly as in the game. They they do a full album version and it's just gorgeous. And I listen to it like every day. It's so beautiful. But I will say I have a soft spot for there's a song, the one that they sing when you're in the underworld and it's when they leave. Basically, it's when it's time to save Freddy. I love that song. It's a good goodbye song is any but then you'll see when you go back and, and play through and, and save freddy when you choose that option you get this beautiful part from laura bailey where she sings it and she's like simultaneously it's like a desperation but a tenderness so she's simultaneously angelic but melancholic but it's amazing when she's singing about saving freddy and it's one of the most beautiful sung parts of the game can't wait for you to hit that I have to go back. I think I said that 12 times, but I have to go back repeatedly. And then the trial. I absolutely love, I love the trial. The, the music is fantastic. The variability between what characters you play and affecting it. But I always go back to that part. And then I hum, I hum when they're all singing together and you get like the lighthouse and like the graphics. And I will listen to that part on repeat forever. It's so good. Amazing songs all the way through. And my final question for you, Megan, was just like, overall looking at it as a piece of, you know, classical reception, do you think it's a standout? It's good? Would you recommend this game? What do you feel in terms of just being a piece of classical reception? I would absolutely recommend it. It's a really fun game. And I think it's a great piece of classical reception. It does a really good job of taking characters that we know I think that a lot of people will be familiar with, even if they're not intimately familiar with the source material, their characters people know. And they pick out the key traits, except with Asterion, because his key trait is just that he's a massive monster who eats people. They pick out the and weave really interesting stories around them. And obviously I've only had Persephone's backstory in great detail. I haven't done Pan or Apollo yet, but they're all in this fantasy world, they're all believable characters. They're nicely rounded. There's no one who's one dimensional. There's no one who you're like, oh, you're the evil baddie. I know I said that I knew Athena was the bad guy really early on, but she has solid motivation and it's motivation coming from a good place. It's not that she's just bad and evil. She's trying to do the best she can. And I think that really encompasses all of the characters. They're trying to do the best they can, which I think really, really speaks to the human condition, I'd say. And seeing all of the different characters that are obviously heavily influenced by the mythology, but then humanized in a way that we don't always see so clearly was really great. And I, I liked it because like modern views of gods especially the Christian Yahweh, is perfection. And I think a lot of ancient, more ancient pantheons are very much grounded in a lot of the stuff that makes humans human. So seeing that shine through so strongly was really enjoyable. What are your thoughts? I admit that before I played it, I knew I was excited coming in. I was not a theater kid 
which was hilarious. I remember when I was younger, I remember telling my parents that I actually hated musicals, which wasn't true because I watched Disney all the time. But I I think it was just because when I was younger, I didn't understand truly what a musical was. And then my dad got tickets to Lion King. They came to Chicago. I saw it. And then suddenly I was like, actually, I like musicals. And then I got super deep in the musicals. So I had always kind of thought about music and games. And so then I was excited. But I was also, I have to say, a healthy dose of skepticism. This could go really well, but also if done not well, could be an absolute train wreck. Right, like it could go really bad. So yeah, I came into it kind of being, well, it's Greek mythology, so I guess it sounds fun. I came in actually expecting more interaction and just wanting to identify more with, okay, I'm gonna judge it on accuracy. How close is it to the real mythology? And I came away really impressed. And actually, it's like a Percy Jackson thing, which is kind of like the litmus test because I read that when I was 12, kind of when it came out and, and at the right age. And I kind of base a lot of things around, okay, are you sticking close to the real mythology or are you going to take it? And then if you take it and do something different, it has to be like the good different because otherwise it could be really bad. And I remember Percy Jackson being one of the only ones where they really changed everything, but in a way where it was good. So that's kind of why I base everything. So I was kind of like, okay, is it going to be one of those? And yeah, I would say it exceeded expectations because it definitely took it in a very different modern way, but did not change things to the point where I didn't like it or didn't recognize it. I like how they kept kernels of accuracy and then sort of built around that and gave them a, a cool story. The music, as I said, incredible. I mean, all the props in the world to Austin Wintry and tripod the band and montane because they all wrote into the music the voice cast i already knew was going to be amazing so that was never going to be a complaint i really like to see the playfulness that they brought to their roles yeah all around i can just say after multiple playthroughs playability factors amazing it's a game i want to play again and it's a game that i felt that i could get into and then if friends were also playing it they could get into and it's a great conversation starter so i think also that it is a good entry point into classics because the fact that you even have a character like freddy admit all these idols are really different from the greek mythology i know that in itself is a good hook for if you're playing you know nothing about greek mythology you'd be like okay so clearly this is not standard okay cool so this is a good get your foot in the door classical reception and it's a fun game and it's an easy one. So I also like how the game creators had it in mind that they wanted to make it a very accessible play because there's nothing I hate more than having a great game, but it's for hardcore gamers, right? So my only complaint about like Assassin's Creed is that if you don't play a lot of games, you're going to struggle because, oh no, now you have to kill this person and you have to melee them or you have to use your bone arrow or stealth kill them. And if you're not a gamer, those controls and the skill trees are overwhelming. So this also gets extra points for being a very easy playthrough. There's nothing I don't love about it. So it was good because you know, I think that it's one thing to it's one thing to hear about it. It's another to to see it. So yes, if you played it, let us know what you think. Let us know if you too have a weird liking of Pan, or if you absolutely hate him like Freddie and Lexi both do. And thank you for joining us in this special <laughs> edition of Reading Party. Please join us again in uh, January when we release season two. We're focusing on Egypt and all things Egyptian and Egyptological, and we have guest hosts, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Because I think that it's one thing to it's one thing to hear about it, it's another to, to see it, so yes. <laughs>